Hello and welcome to Audio Mission from CMS, the Church Mission Society. I'm Trevor Smith and over the next 20 minutes I'll be taking you all over the world of God's mission from remote northern Argentina to Tanzania and all the way back to West London. You'll notice a strong environmental strand in the mix this time and later we'll hear from mission partner Gailin Kongsai about his love of transforming both places and people in forgotten corners of London. But first we talk to mission partners Catherine and Nick Drayson about their wide-ranging work in northern Argentina where Nick is diocesan bishop. Sarah Holmes first asked Bishop Nick what his top priorities were. Faith, uh, family and forest which are the three aspects of Christian witness as we understand it, worship, community and mission. And so faith would be the first one, that uh, the importance of developing a relationship, a vertical relationship as it were with God. Family, the importance of the horizontal relationships between churches, between believers, but also very much the family aspect of our understanding of the gospel and and helping parents disciple their children and, and, and have healthy families. In, a, in their own cultural context. And then Forrest would refer to the outreach, um, finding the right strategies for both rural and urban work, but particularly the issues of deforestation that affect the majority of our congregations who live in, in the forest. And as the forests are cleared for, for, for growing soya, there's a major crisis in our diocese which we're trying to address with the help of others. I first went to the Chaco 40 years ago. Um, I haven't been there all that time, but I've lived on there on and off. And until about five or ten years ago, it, no, it, one wouldn't have considered it an issue. There always seemed to be enough forest for everyone. But now the, the policy of the Argentine government to, um, through, with particularly mining and the production of soya, implies massive destruction of the environment in order to help the economy. Uh, but with with no regard for human rights, so this is it. It is a massive issue. We we we're hoping to address together with other churches and organisations internationally to see if there's any anything that can be stopped because it's um, it's really bad news for those who live in in the forest and getting worse. We have had some really encouraging things happening, if I might add, mm. particularly in the Toba community. There, um, over the past few years, we've been doing some uh, of these, what they call encuentros, um, meeting together workshops, really, small conferences for Pastora Familiar, which is making disciples in the family. And it's been like a wake-up call to parents, you know, and to the leaders to really make every effort not to lose their children to the Mm. world, as it were. Mm. And they are a smaller community, but they, and they're more, perhaps more proactive, um, but they have uh, really, with very little material, they met together and talked about the discussions. When we meet together, we try not to come in saying this is what you should do. But we have these uh, workshops where they hopefully will talk about the changes that have happened in their cultures and then see what they can do about it, how they can address it. And they have been very, very proactive. And you can see often they're taking parenting skills very much more seriously, mm. their responsibility. Mm. And you're seeing a lot more kids in in church. And they're, they're changing, they're doing more stuff for children. They're doing not just, they're trying to do Sunday school, but they'll make services actually a little bit more uh, child-friendly even, which mm. is a, quite revolutionary for out there. Um, and stuff like that, really. And you can tell there's a there's a definite change in, with the Toba people in the community. They're much mm. more positive. 
the witchy are very much slower to put anything like that in practice. Um, mm. So we're very encouraged by what we're seeing, and there feels that sense of hope mm. uh, amongst the Toba community. When we get back, um, two things will happen. We'll have an encuentro, a women's encounter, basically, mm-hmm. in the spirit for the Crioja Church uh, up where we live, and that's happening in our house as soon as we get back there. But the cri- In your house? In, yes, in our house. I've told the women, well, we're arriving the day before, so please, 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 they're going to have to clean the house. There's some bonus there. How many women? We don't know. I think it may be about 50 women coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these are really mainly Criolla women. So it's a great step ahead because they haven't been very active recently. Can I ask exactly who the Criolla are? Yeah. The Criollas are the, non, the non-Indians, mm. the, um, the cowboys, the, the descendants mm. of the Europeans. And they have grown in numbers over the years? Um, yes, mainly they've they've started. You know, we've started churches amongst them. They've been in churches amongst the the Indians for a hundred years now, but with the Criollos, the white people, as it were, it's been more like forty years. So there's uh, the work is less developed. And what will you be sort of helping or hoping to come out of this women's encounter group with, with this group of people in particular? We're hoping that some of the local women, the local Criollo women, will really be touched by the Lord, open to his spirit. And they've got a lot of friends who never go to church and they are basically going to bring them in. And it's it's a very useful um, tool. It means that they hear about other people's testimonies of what God's done in their lives. And um, it seems to be a way of really bringing them close to Christ. And they're organising it all. It's wonderful. Yes, I hope we're sort of providing support and scaffolding rather than leading from the front. We, 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 ha- we also have a number of, of national clergy, but we, and we want a particular prayer would be for, for future leaders or present leaders to be better trained so that we can, we can have appropriate national leadership at the level of bishop and, and clergy and, and everything else. Could I just ask you what the kind of one major sort of issue or message you'd like to bring back from northern Argentina here would be? Well, I think the big issue, as I mentioned before, is the deforestation. And we, we really want to draw that to people's attention and, and try and put, put pressure on the authorities to, for, for, for that to be halted for the, for the sake of the survival of the, of the most vulnerable. And I think the, what our main priority now in, as we go back is to mobilise teams of people in terms of leadership and training and administration and particularly we've talked all about the the Indians mainly and Catherine mentioned the Criollo women mm-hmm. uh, and we want to grow in the area of the urban work not just the the indigenous mm-hmm. people we want to grow more sort of professional middle-class Spanish-speaking churches and link up more with the the, the, the other diocese in Argentina which is is totally urban mm-hmm. so that would be an area for prayer. Catherine and Bishop Nick Drayson with their prayer priorities. September is back to school month, of course, and many young people will no doubt be looking forward to the end of the academic year already, especially those with important exams who are perhaps thinking about taking a year out to travel. 19-year-old Elspeth Priestley chose to take a gap year with CMS and found herself in Tanzania, working with CMS mission associates Grace and Festo Kanunga, who run a church secondary school in Kilimatinde in the Diocese of the Rift Valley. She told Sarah Holmes about them and their energy to make things happen, like a new nursery school. Grace, the mission associate that's out there, 
her husband, Festo, who's the headmaster of the school, said, shall we start a nursery? Um, and that was in the time we were there. So we saw the building of the veranda, so it was an extension of the house we were living in. And we started with 20 students on the first day, and by the end of the second week we had a, over 120 students, um, ages 3 to 6. So that was amazing to see. They're now looking to kind of raise funds to build a proper nursery school so we can extend and build that. So it was really great to be a part of that start. So that was in Grace and Festo's house? <laughs> yeah, it was on the back. So at quarter past seven every morning, you would hear, hear all the children arriving um, and we had it rained one day and the roof leaked. So we invited them all into the living room, uh, which was packed full. It was like being in a tin of sardines. Wow, so that's a lot of children. <laughs> lots and lots of children. I think now they're up to like nearly 140 children. Have they got other people running it now, now you've gone? Yeah, so uh, it was me and two other children along with Grace that were running it and now they've got three teachers that are local in the village and Grace who's teaching English now I've gone. What was the language you struggled with or you had to grapple with and try to learn? Was it it wasn't key Swahili, was it? Yeah, it was Swahili that we tried to learn. So I kind of had to learn, sit down, listen, what is this, this means. So kind of basic commands and questions I had to try and learn. And then also learning to do the shopping. <laughs> Let's hear um, sit down oh. or something. Yeah, uh, it was, so Mama was stand up. Um, and then you would ask them how they are, which was Habari. And then Kachini was sit down. So yeah, it was... <laughs> Listen, Sikilize, listen. <laughs> How did it come about? What was the journey for you to get yourself to Tanzania? I was doing a gap year between my A-levels and university and I wanted to do something that wasn't just for me, that would help someone else and make some sort of impact. And then my dad had contacts in CMS, so I came along and had an interview and it was kind of Tanzania was the placement that suited me. Was it a big decision to decide to do some sort of mission work overseas? Yeah it was a massive decision um, obviously being away from home for the first time for such a long period of time and also knowing that that was the right thing if I was being called to that it was kind of praying through it a lot and seeing if that was the right thing for me and uh, turns out that it was. <laughs> so why was it such a good thing for you? It was just I was able to grow in myself so much I developed so much more self-confidence um, and my my trust and faith in God really grew as well um, and obviously learning about the kind of a new culture and a new country it was really great to kind of get to see that side and somewhere else apart from the UK. Did you know anything about Tanzania before you went? No not at all it was kind of the first time I'd really looked into Tanzania and heard about it so it was I mean you see the stuff on kind of like Christian aid and all of these different things but actually going there was really kind of great to learn about it firsthand. So how would you sum it up the actual place Tanzania how would you describe it if someone says oh what's that place like I've never been there? There's amazing uh, variety in what you see in terms of the uh kind of the landscape I mean I saw it going from kind of desert like to bright green because I was there in the rainy season but then also the generosity of the people that are there and how friendly they are and welcoming it's just a really nice place to be anyway um, where we were we were in out in the bush in a village and it was there was a lot of kind of poverty there but the one thing that struck me was actually how generous they are despite 
their poverty. You said that your faith journey sort of, um, or you you got closer to God Mm. really there. Do you know why that was or what sort of triggered that? Um, There were some situations where I really had to, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. So I had to really trust God um, and lean on him more because there was nothing I could do to affect it. And it was, it was really, it was trusting that God knew what was going to happen and he knew the plan. Um, So it really kind of strengthens that trust and that relationship with God. And are you acting differently now you're home or thinking differently? I'm, uh, I definitely think more of kind of how important friendship and family is and actually how materialistic we can be and how that's really not something that's important. So it really kind of changed my opinion about that and possessions and how they are just things and that's not... It's the people and the relationships that we have are the most important. Have you got two or three prayer points for us before we close? I think one would be the development of the nursery school and that they're able to raise the funds for that, but also for the the building of new dorms for the students. Uh, they could really use those. Um, and then the other thing is for the staff at the school and having staff that stick around and kind of stay and staff that work hard and want to make a difference building that firm foundation that the school could stand on give thanks that elspeth's church are now linking up with grace and festo in an ongoing relationship and that after medical studies elspeth plans to return to make a contribution at the clinic in kilimatinde let's pray too for all those young people who may be considering this kind of mission experience with cms Now to the dauntingly named Wolf Fields, an area in the borough of Ealing which is one of the most deprived areas in Greater London. Here mission partner Gailin Kongsai with his wife Kim serves with Christian conservation charity Arosha and is planning to transform an area of wasteland inspired by previous successes in growing food in a community garden. Naomi Steinberg asked him what he'd already seen happen. You said that you had seen great um, success with the food growing projects yes. and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what to you what does success look like? I think for uh, not just one reason in terms of getting people yes I would say pretty successful in one point we got five feet communities regularly coming and helping and in terms of the numbers we, during harvest celebrations we always hit more than 100 people and not just that, the most important thing is there are many people who come to know each other through that small project. And we come to learn many stories, many uh, depressed from depressed community, you know, disabled community, disadvantaged community. They, they just come down to celebrate with us, harvest the produce that we, we, we used to have during October. September and they like sitting around us uh, mingling with our garden group and we cook we save food and many people said oh I, I quite enjoyed I, I, I forgot about my depressions coming here is amazing what can I do how can I be more involved and some people ask about are you from Christians why you do this you don't need to open the door they open a door for you to share a gospel and there is many hidden stories some become Christians, which I don't re- reveal to people. And, and also, um, there are people who are under depressions coming to me saying that, Kalin, how can I be involved because I'm under depressions, I, I, I need help, I need 
to do something outdoor. And sometimes we help those peoples. We teach them how to grow. We teach them how to mingle with other peoples. And in fact, we send people to other houses for lunch, share lunch type kind of things. So you know, Christian going to the Hindu house, the Hindu people going to a Christian house. You know, so this really cross culture things going on and uh, through sharing foods and growing something together and I think that's that's how I see how the success look like um, but when we started off I don't think that it will be that uh, that sort of ministry I thought that it's just about plantings and doing conservation stuff scientific study but I now see that through actions, through this kind of practical actions, um, the God opened doors everywhere to talk about his his story. Because you don't you don't necessarily need to ask people, can I talk about the Bible to you? Can I talk about Jesus to you? You don't need to say that. They are just clicking at you. Why you are doing this? Why Christians celebrate Easter? Till last Easter. I was asked by two people coming to the allotment saying that, oh, Kailin, I'm sure that you're running this project. I said, yes. Oh, we can, we like to help you. But finally, after helping me, they asked, we are coming to ask you a question. Why, why people are celebrating this Easter? You know, we sat down and have coffee and I kept on talking. You want a support group for the Wolffields project. So yeah. how's that going? Well, it is a very multicultural area. I could easily form a group, a support group, but I now want a specific a Christian people now to come on board, to lead us in prayer sometimes, to have a sort of prayer activities on a spot. Because um, Erosa is a Christian organization, and I'm a same as Mission Partners, and I'm doing this, and we are doing with Erosa this project to glorify God. And we, and then, um, um, so I, I seriously think that it's important to have six people at least, or ten maybe, to have um, a local Christian group who often could come down and pray for us, you know, so it to encourage us more and more because everything is not green when you work in a in a very multicultural area. You bump into many difficulties sometimes, and you need encouragement. And so I, I seriously think that this kind of prayer is really important. Mission partner Kailin Kongsai talking about the importance of prayer support for his work. And of course this goes for all mission partners. That's why we're so grateful for the many, many listeners to Audio Mission who don't just stop at listening, but stop and pray. And now we hear from CMS web manager Jeremy Woodham as he reflects on what we've heard. For most of us in the West, it's easy to make our environment adapt to us with technology and money. The poor and disadvantaged, whether in our inner cities or in remote northern Argentina, have no choice but to adapt themselves. But people pushed to the edges can experience a change in the spiritual environment when people like Catherine and Nick Drayson come alongside them. And a phrase that Catherine used struck me, encounters in the spirit. When women from the Toba community got together and shared their stories and worshipped and prayed. Listening to Elspeth's energy and excitement about her gap year, it was obvious that that too had been an encounter in the spirit. 
bearing who knows what fruit in her future. And we returned to the topic of care for creation with Kylene in West London and heard once again how closely it is tied up with care for people and how it opened up so many opportunities for Kylene to share his relationship with the Creator. Encounters in the Spirit happening on the allotment. And while we feel powerless in the face of huge problems on the scale of deforestation, the power of God's Spirit is released as we humbly share life with one another. The Kingdom of Heaven is like yeast mixed in with flour until the whole dough rises, said Jesus. And sometimes big changes do happen. It's 50 years since missionaries first came alongside indigenous people to fight for their rights to land in northern Argentina. And in June, there was a historic judgment to grant rights to 400,000 hectares of land to people from Toba and Wichi and other communities. The fruit of half a century's prayer, solidarity and hard work. So let's ask for the Spirit to bring about such fruit through us. Jeremy Woodham bringing this edition of Audio Mission to a close. This is Trevor Smith and I hope you'll join us next month for more voices of God's mission from around the world. Thank you for listening and thank you for your prayers.